1: Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley from the National Prayer Chapel. How shall we deal with the wounds of our heart? I've learned something as I have grown older that I didn't know in the beginning, and that is that the wounding of the heart becomes cumulative over time. In other words, one adds on to another and another could be the death of a wife or a husband, the death of a child, the loss of friendship, being cut off, being poorly treated. It could be physical illness. It could be so many things that wound our hearts, that bloody us. And many of us look at that and we say, hey, I'm tough, I'm strong. I'm just going to get up and go on. The problem with that is they are cumulative. And so the time will finally come if these wounds are not dealt with, if they are not healed, they will cause us to give up in despair, go into depression, go into fear, go into anger, bitterness, hardness of heart, disobedience to the word of the Lord, can finally come to a place where we just say, I don't know how to live anymore. I want to just die. What are the wounds of your heart? And how do you deal with them? Most of the wounds that I've received in my life I've received in the house of my brothers the church. I've also had a precious wife die. I've had a a precious child die a son. I know what it is to face loss and disappointment. And I've always faced that with, all right, I'm going to trust Jesus. But as I began to press those things down and not really grieve over them and not really deal with them, my body could not lie. And so at one point, my body just almost collapsed on itself. I was still strong in my mind. I don't have time to have a nervous breakdown. But the cumulative effect of so many blows, body blows, heart blows... Almost destroyed me. When I look in the scripture, I find that sorrows and trials are just part of the journey. That the the bloodied up, beat up, destroyed. Just a part of the journey. So, part of it is learning how to deal with that sorrow of heart, learning how to deal with the grief when life is not working out the way we thought it should work out. I'd like to look with you at a story today because this giant of the faith endured many blows and some he handled well And frankly, some, he didn't do so well. They took him out. I want to say at the very beginning today that I found only one way that blows to the heart can be healed. And that is through an honest admitting of the pain and the anguish An honest admitting of my part in creating that situation. And then a turning to Jesus and a recognition that I cannot carry myself. That if he does not carry me, I will die. Now some people, when they grow old, grow bitter. Some people, when they grow old, seem to have not lost their elasticity. They're they're still fresh. They're still full of hope. How'd that happen? I know one family who have suffered a blow beyond measure. Heartache upon heartache. She deals with it by drinking a lot of wine. He deals with it by telling jokes, by being the jokester, telling funny stories. If this couple ever began to admit to one another the sorrow of their hearts, they would weep a bucket load of tears. I don't know how they could even begin to deal with the sorrow of their heart because it's so great. I know another couple who very commonly, as many couples, simply shut down emotionally. When you look at them, they look dead. They'll bestir themselves if poked, or they'll bestir themselves if something happens, and and then a smile will come on the face, and, and they're very intelligent, and they answer quickly. But part of how they deal with the pain of their heart is to be dead. And I've had to look very honestly and very closely at how I deal with And how I've dealt with the pain of my heart. I'm not willing to turn to something to comfort myself, like food or drink. I'm not willing to comfort my heart by becoming a jokester. I'm not willing to comfort my heart by just shutting down my life and being dead. Those are all decisions we have to make. I'm not willing to just shut people out and cut people off. That's how some people deal with their pain. They just, you disagree with them and they cut you off and and it doesn't matter if they understand you or not. It's what they think. And based on that, they put up the wall, not a boundary. They put up a wall and shut you out. That's how they deal with their pain. I'm not willing to do that. Instead, as you hear this broadcast, I come and often speak about the inner life and the pain and the anguish of that inner life. And speak about sin and righteousness and the journey, the pilgrimage. That's why I chose the title at the influence of the Holy Spirit for this broadcast called Pilgrim's Progress. I want to talk about the progress I'm making and you're making toward heaven. Requires a lot of courage and a lot of honesty on your part. Let's look at this story. It's found in Genesis, if you're going to follow in your scripture, in the 13th chapter Abraham, or Abram as he's called at this point in the story, is called by God to leave the Mesopotamian area and come to Canaan land. Now he doesn't know where he's going. He's just being directed by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus. And he's told to leave his family, but he can't. And so he brings his father, his family. He brings his nephew Lot, who is like a son to him. They're delayed on their journey. And finally, when Abram reaches Canaan, there's a famine there. Well, you understand why there's a famine there? He's disobeyed the Lord. And the Lord wants to know, what are you going to do, Abram? Well, Abram answers, I'm headed to Egypt. I'm going to the world. You're not going to take care of me. I'm I'm out of here. It's one way to deal with things when we're not happy is just say, okay, I'll do it myself. God's not going to show up for me. I'll, I'll do it. And that's what Abram did. He lived in, in Cana land finally after the bloody blow from Pharaoh to embarrass him when he gave Pharaoh his wife lying to Pharaoh and Pharaoh got angry and kicked him out of the country and sent him packing. Another bloody blow in Abraham's life. A public shaming. I'm going to tell you there's there's no blow to the heart that hurts as much as a public shaming and a public rejection. Well, Abram finally recognizes that they have too much wealth and he asks his nephew Lot to separate and and Lot chooses the best for himself. He should have given way to, to Abram, who was the senior, who was the patriarch. But he chooses for himself. And armies sweep in and take captive Sodom and Gomorrah. And a number of city nations around the area, it's a mighty army. It sweeps in and just takes them away. And that word comes to Abram that Lot has been taken captive and immediately he assembles his 300 plus men army trained with swords and weapons. These are tough men. These are, these are shepherd men, farm men who know how to handle weapons, who have to fight off wild animals to preserve their, and raiders to preserve their livestock. So they go against this great army. It's almost like Gideon with his 300 men against the Midianites. And they have a great victory. Now Melchizedek, king of Salem, comes. And I want you to notice a couple things that that Melchizedek says to Abram because Abram needs to know this. Blessed be Abram by God Most High. This is the 14th chapter of Genesis. Creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. In other words, Abram, you didn't do this by yourself. God did this. I just want to say this to you quickly, and then we'll go back to the story. many of the blows that we experience in our life have a purpose. And the purpose of those blows designed by God, look at Hebrews, the 12th chapter. They're designed by God to cause us to utterly give up any hope in our own ability that we would trust completely in the Lord God of heaven in the smallest areas of our life that we would utterly release ourselves into his hand. It's been a great sorrow to me to see men who worship the Lord and who endeavor to walk holy before him be caught in their own agendas, in their own Pride and think they can save themselves or protect themselves. Our protection is in the mighty hand of the Lord God. He is the one who delivers our enemies into our hands. We do not do that ourselves. The Christian life is not playing King on the Mountain. I remember as a child, we would always play king on the mountain on top of the haystack. I usually did not get to be the king on the mountain because my two brothers were tougher and stronger than me and older than I was. But when they took each other out, then I could sit for a few moments as king on the mountain until one of them came scrambling back up and knocked me off. To be king on the mountain is a losing game. We can't be the king on the mountain. There is only one king, and his name is Jesus. So what we find now in chapter 15 a very interesting exposure of the blow that that Abram has received and that he is now afraid he will receive. He has just taken out a very powerful army that is far bigger and far stronger than the few men he had. Now he's terrified because he has become very public. He is seen by all of the surrounding nations as a power to contend with. And now they think he's the king on the mountain and they're going to come and try to destroy him, push him off his kingship. Now he hides in the Lord God of heaven. This is a lesson I've had to learn over and over and over again most of the blows that i have received the bloody blows that i have received in my life have come about because of my own foolishness sometimes i've been attacked without cause and without reason but usually it's been because of my own my own pride now abram is terrified that because of his quick action in going to deliver Nephew Lot and the families of Sodom and Gomorrah, he's now concerned. When the king of Sodom offered to give him all of the booty, all of the money, the gold, the silver, the cattle, give him everything, if he would just return the people to him, the captives, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I've raised my hand to the Lord God Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the thong of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I want you to catch that. The way Abram is dealing with the blow of becoming very public and becoming enemy number one is to not take any of the money so nobody wants to come and take it. He says, no, no, you take it all. Give the men who came with me their share. Give my friends who came with me their share. We, we also had the food. Now God comes, and He speaks right to the heart of the issue. Now, please, I want you to hear this. God knows exactly what the what the piercing of your heart has been. He knows exactly what the cumulative effect of the blows has been against you. He knows if you're in despair. He knows if you're in. Depression. He knows if you're walking expecting to get beat up again. He also knows if you're Mr. Tough Guy. He knows who you are, he knows what actions you've taken. In response to Abram saying to the king of Sodom, I'm not going to take anything, I'm going to trust in the Lord God Almighty the Lord comes to him and says in chapter 15, this is the word of the Lord. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. In other words, Abram, don't be afraid of these nations. I'm going to be your shield. I'm going to protect you. I will turn them aside. They will not come and attack you. I will protect you for you're in my land, and I'm giving it to you. What an awesome promise. I take that promise. I began to praise him again this morning for that promise. In many ways, I don't know how to live. And I've asked Jesus to teach me how to live in the Spirit. I've asked Jesus would he be my very great reward and I'm choosing not to be afraid. I look at this radio broadcast, this YouTube ministry. I look at Sunday morning fellowship where we gather to worship as the National Prayer Chapel. I look at Thursday evening where we gather to study the scriptures together. And I say, Lord, it's all yours. I don't have a kingdom to build. I have a kingdom to enter. And that is the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I'm asking him, would you teach me how to live in your kingdom? And I will not be afraid, for you are my shield, and you are my very great reward. Now, Abram begins to contend with God. Now, do you have the courage to contend with God? The great men of Scripture knew how to contend with God. He was a very personal God. His word would come or he would personally come. I think of of Adam contending with God. I think of Job contending with God. I think of Moses contending with God. What do I mean? He, He was on his face saying, no, Lord, don't destroy these people. If you destroy them, you're going to bring shame to your name, and people are going to say you didn't have the power to take these people all the way through. You brought them to the desert, and then you failed. He said, God, don't do that. And God said, okay, you're right. Jeremiah contended with God. You look at the New Testament, Peter contended with God. John the Baptist contended with Jesus, trying to deter him from being baptized. And sometimes men were able to, and women, Hannah contended with God over her inability to have a child. Rachel contended with Jacob. It's better to contend with God than with your husband or your wife. To press and to say, Lord, there's, there's something wrong here. It's not right. It needs to change. So Abram says, O oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? and the one who'll inherit my estate is a of Damascus he's already become comfortable with the idea that god's going to protect him that god is going to reward him and he's saying look i don't need any more money i've got lots of gold and silver and i've got livestock i've got beautiful tents to live in i'm doing fine thank you very much what can you give me i don't have a son The whole purpose in coming to this land was to take possession of it. And if I don't have a son, how can anyone ever take possession in my family? You've given me no children. Now the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, look up to the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, how do we deal with the wounds of our heart? We believe the Lord when he makes a promise to us. The Lord promised to me when I was nine or ten years of age in vision, he promised me full revival here in Washington, D.C. He showed me the building where it would take place. At that point, it had not even been built or conceived of. He showed me full revival. Again, a number of years ago, he again gave me a vision and showed me full revival. These revivals were not marked by physical healings, although that was happening. They were rather marked by by great weeping, tears, and wailing over sin and getting right with God. Repentance, public repentance, and getting right with the Lord. Now, I either have to walk afraid because of the blows I've received, or I have to believe the word the Lord has spoken to me. Now, if I'm going to believe the word the Lord has spoken to me, it requires that I lay down all of my expectations, all of my demands, and place my whole trust in the word of the living God and know that he will do what he said to me he would do. In the late night hours, early morning hours he spoke to me two years ago audibly and he said wait upon the lord then a pause and then he said to me the lord will carry you through and then very kindly he said rest in me ray Okay, now that deals with any blow I might receive to my heart. Because I'm called by the Lord to rest in him alone and to wait upon him alone. I'm not waiting for the church. I'm not waiting for the radio station. I'm not waiting for the internet. I am waiting For the Lord God of heaven, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, I am waiting on his word to go forth to fulfill the promise that he made to me as a child and reaffirmed to me as an adult. And I'm waiting for him. And I've I've said to him, Lord, If I die waiting on you, it's okay. Because when I reach that judgment bar, I'm going to be able to say, Lord, you told me to wait on you. Not to try to build something in my flesh, but to wait upon the Lord. Lord, I waited upon you. And you chose to bring me home. It's okay. In other words, I'm saying that the way I'm choosing to deal with the wounds of my heart is not to take them personally, not to dwell on them, not to be angry or bitter about them, not to castigate or accuse anyone, not to blame anyone, but to take full responsibility and say, Lord, I'm going to wait upon you. I'm going to trust you. Listen, that's a decision we have to make. Will we or will we not trust in the mighty God of heaven in reality? Then the Lord said to Abram, verse 7, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of this? Again, he's contending with the Lord. And the Lord is not upset with him. The Lord is not upset when out of the fear of our heart, we say to him, Please, Lord, I need your word. I need your word. The Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. He cut these apart. He separated them. Now I want you to see something very significant. God walks in the blood of these sacrifices. It is a blood sacrifice, meaning if I break this covenant, I will die. Well, God can't die and God can't break his covenant. It's of great interest to me that God did not say, Now, Abram, you walk through the blood. No, this was a covenant that God was making with God. And it was because of this covenant. It was because of the covenant with Abraham. The first covenant. And this covenant. That Jesus Christ died on Calvary. God did not sin against his covenant. He did not break his word. But he died for you and me. He died for you and me. Well, then we come to chapter 16. Abraham's wife had borne him no children. It had been 10 years. And Sarai said, Abram, go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. This was an Egyptian maidservant. Probably was given to them or they bought. While they were in Egypt, the residue of Egypt is upon them. So, Sarah gives Hagar to her husband. He sleeps with her. She becomes his wife. And she is now pregnant and is going to have a son. But she begins to despise her mistress. There's great trouble in the family. And she gives birth to a child. Ishmael. For 13 years, the Lord does not speak again with Abram. 13 years is a long time to go with no word of the Lord. He's 99 years old. He now thinks it impossible for himself to ever have a child with Sarah. She is past the age of birthing a child. She's she's past her period. The Lord does not come with a word this time. He personally comes the Lord appeared to Abram after 13 years of no contact. And he says, I am God Almighty. What is Almighty? El Shaddai. I am the provider God. I am the the Almighty One. I am the one who determines what will happen here. Abram had said, oh, God said I'd have, okay, I'll take Hagar. I'll have a son. God says, no, no, no. Not going to happen. You're going to have a son with Sarai. Now walk before me and be blameless. In other words, be perfect. It's, It's serious time now. It's time for you to grow up. 99 years old and he's being told, grow up. Walk it straight. Walk it clean. No more human flesh. And I will confirm my covenant between me and you. And I will greatly increase your numbers. And Abram does the only thing a man can do when God comes with that kind of attitude. He falls face down on the ground before the almighty God. You will be a father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I've made you a father of many nations. Oh, I'm so thankful God does not cast us off forever. God has not cast you off forever. He is there for you. He may not have spoken to you for a long time. In fact, one man I spoke with yesterday said, God has only spoken to me one time in my life. I read the scriptures, I pray, but he doesn't talk to me. Get ready, God's going God's to talk to you. God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant. You and your descendants after you for the generations to come. And this is my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. The covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. What is he talking about? The great Washington Monument is known as the phallic symbol, the Egyptian phallic symbol. It is about the supremacy of man and man's ability to create and man's ability to do what he wants to do. Tower of Babel. Let's build a tower that reaches into the heavens, into the stargate. God says, no, it's not going to happen. Almost every wound that festers in our heart came out of our own expectations. It came out of What we thought we had to have. What we were trying to get and failed. And finally the word of the Lord comes to us and says, Look, you're not going to be able to produce anything of any lasting value except as you allow me to do it through you. The Lord God of heaven needs hands and feet, hearts and bodies, that will be utterly given to him, that he by his spirit could flow through us for the coming of his great kingdom. And Sarah, by the way, is going to have a baby. And that just, that cracked Abraham up. He fell face down on his face again, and he just roared with laughter. And he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? And will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And then Abraham really showed his heart and my heart and yours. He says to the Lord, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing." Lord, if you would just bless what I've built with my hands. If you would just prosper my business. If you would just build my church. If you would just do what I need you to do for me that I could be successful. And God says, okay, Abraham, I will bless a little. I will bless. But that's not where my heart is. My heart is with a son you're going to name Isaac, meaning laughter. The joy of the Lord, the healing of the wounds of our heart, is found in laughter, in joy, as we watch the mighty hand of God move in our lives and open the way before us. And there is always a time of of a gap where we stop doing our will but before the will of God takes place, there is this gap. I call it the gap dragon zone. It feels like we're going to die in that gap. But it's a test to see whether we're really willing to totally give ourselves to rest in Jesus If you will rest in Jesus, if you will trust him, he will open up your life and bring you to the place where he can use you for the work of the gospel of Jesus. I don't pray for the mighty hand of God and Pentecost power that we celebrate. I don't ask God for the Pentecost power so that I can be happy or have some wonderful religious experience. I ask for the power of God that men and women could be saved, that men and women could be brought totally into the victory of Jesus. I pray for power of God to heal the sick to raise the dead to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord to call men and women to repent and turn to the Lord see this is not about me or you this is about Jesus this is about Jesus Now I want to tell you something. Our actions have consequences. Because of what Abram did with Ishmael, he ends up having to take Isaac to the altar of burnt offering. And the Lord said, Offer your son. Offer your son on the altar. And then the Lord provides a lamb, a ram caught in the thicket. But God had to know by testing his heart whether he had finally come through in victory where he would not try to create for himself what he wanted, but would instead take what God had given to him and give it back to the Lord as a burnt offering. Lord is a person Jesus is a person and the only place of healing we will find for the wounds of our heart is yes by admitting very honestly what those wounds are even examining what caused those wounds to take place and then to take those to Jesus and give those wounds to him give the fear the anger the bitterness the cutting off the deadness to bring it all to Jesus and say Jesus this is how I've been wounded this is what this person did and that organization did this is this is what's happened to me But I trust you. And you said. In Matthew 8. All things work together for the good. For those who love the Lord. Who are called according to his purpose. Everything works out for good. When it's in the hands of Jesus. Even the wounding of our hearts works out for good according to Romans 8:28 if we will give ourselves utterly completely and totally into the hands of Jesus Christ are you willing to do that Lord I Pray today for every person listening. We have all suffered grievous wounds to our hearts. Lord, don't allow us to become arrogant and bitter. Don't allow us to walk in pride. But Lord, humble our hearts before you and cause us to utterly give all of these wounds into your hands for you. Suffered those wounds on Calvary's tree. You died for us. Lord, I thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I hope today's been helpful to you. I'd like to hear from you. You can write to me at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia or you can go to our webpage NationalPrayerchapel.com. and if you're listening on the YouTube would you please subscribe to our channel that will help us expand and go further I want to thank G. Marie and Kayla for their live chats today thank you all Thank you, Mike, and others who have given this last week. I praise God for you. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon.